Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home... You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. I don't know who rules the roost in your family, but I heard about a woman who went to the doctor and uh, the doctor asked her if there was any insanity in the family. And, uh, and uh, the woman said, yes, doctor, my husband thinks he's the boss. <laughs> and apparently the definition of memory is that it's the thing that tells a man that his wedding anniversary was yesterday. <laughs> and finally, we call our tongue the mother tongue because our fathers n- never got a word in edgeways. <laughs> anyway, there we are, a few, a few, uh, uh, a few starters before... Uh, We turn to more serious matters. But you might be wondering, you might be forgiven for wondering, 
why this morning on Mothering Sunday or Mother's Day, whatever you like to call it, you might be wondering why um, you, we listen to a story that's about a father and two sons. Isn't that a strange story to be telling on a day like today, when the focus is more on mothers? So, I've got some explaining to do. Hundreds of years ago, um, the, pop, in the, the, the population um, of, of England largely didn't get an education, and many of them would um, leave home from about the age of 10 onwards and to get jobs, to, usually to get sort of jobs serving in, in houses or, or, in, or perhaps in factories or whatever it was. And, um, the, and, and so they'd be working away from home largely. Now, ordinarily, of course, they would have attended whichever local parish church that, where they, near where they were working, and so on. But on one Sunday every year, one weekend each year, traditionally the fourth Sunday of Lent, they would be given the weekend off to return home to their families, and the whole family together would attend the mother church for their area, which would have been the church where they were baptised. Now, that would be a bit like us all going to St. Mary's in the Butts in Reading, which is the the Minster Church for this area. It's the sort of mother church for this area. Um, So, um, and that's why it became known as as Mothering Sunday, because they would all go back to the mother church. But the point was that there was a family reunion, and all the family would get together, go to the mother church. And then, of course, they would probably have a a lunch together, um, a, a bit of a feast um, catch up on all their news because they didn't have email and mobile phones in those days and so on, until such time that they had to return back to their place of work. So that's the origin of the term Mothering Sunday. And the most important feature of it was a family reunion. And many people still make it that today. Many of you will be seeing um, family today. Um, several of our congregation today are away visiting their families in other parts of the country. And no doubt several of our congregation have got family visiting them here. Well, in our gospel reading this morning, we heard a story about a family reunion. Or at least it should have been a family reunion. It should have happened, but it didn't. It's quite shocking, the end of the story. Because they never reunite. Let's look at it, though, and see what it might tell us um, about today. It's on, for those of you who've got Bibles, if you'd like to, to look, follow it there, it's on page 1049 of the church Bibles. The passage is also printed in your service sheets. The Bibles give you a bit more um, context, if you like. So, there's a father and two sons. One of them, the younger one, rebels against his, fa- his family, his father. He wants to get out from under his father's authority, and so he demands to have his share of the family money, which his father lets him have, and he goes off with it, and he squanders it, as we learn later on, on prostitutes and high living, whatever it was. And pretty soon, he's blown the lot. Maybe it took months, maybe it took a couple of years, but pretty soon, he's blown the lot. And he finds himself more or less in the gutter, far from home. And you know that today we hear stories, don't we, about um, sometimes immigrants, uh, particularly illegal immigrants in this country, being used and abused by um, sometimes farms, sometimes factories, and so on, being paid a pittance, kept in terrible conditions, um, uh, pretty much kept in slavery. That was where this younger brother had ended up, living a life of sheer hell. And eventually, the story tells us in verse 17... 
that he comes to his senses and realizes that he would be better off being back home, even in the role of a servant or a hired help. So he sets off home. Now, the older brother couldn't have been more different. He has stayed at home with his father, working on his father's estate. He's never missed a day's work. He's always done what his father's told him. He's an obedient son. He's not a rebel like his younger brother. But let's see what happens when the younger brother gets home. And it's really helpful to understand that the culture of the day was based on honour. And that the younger son had badly, terribly, disastrously dishonoured his father when he demanded his share of the money and took off with it. It was like he was rejecting the whole family and treating his father as if his father was already dead. You know, I want my inheritance now. I don't care, you know. The father would have been, he probably would have been the laughing stock of the community. It was a terrible blow for the family. And so the younger son, who is now in the gutter, has no expectation at all that he would be taken back as a son. He's just hoping that his father will make him a hired help in order that he can start paying his way. But what does his father do when he sees his son walking back up the road? Maybe months, maybe years later. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him, and kissed him. Instead of yelling at him and beating him up for disgracing him so badly, the father actually risks losing even more honour and face in the community by running to meet his son, throwing his arms around him, and kissing him. And then, refusing to even listen to his son's apology, he reinstates him into the family as a son by giving him the best robe in the house, the ring which would have had the family seal on it, um, which is a, a sort of acknowledgement that he's back in the family as a son, and, uh, and she gives him new shoes, and, and then he throws a big party to welcome him home. It's amazing. In that culture, it's unbelievable almost. The father completely forgives the wayward son. And it seems like we're going to have a big family reunion on our hands. But there's a twist to the story. Because what happens with the elder brother? When the elder brother hears that his younger brother is back and that his father is throwing a party to celebrate, he is fuming. He's, he's angry. He won't come and join in. He just absolutely rejects it. What does the father do? Once again, the father loses face. Once again, he loses honour. The father, who's the host of the party, who should be with his guests, has to leave the party to go and plead now with the elder brother to come back in. But what does the son say? Verse 29. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But when my brother comes home, the one who's squandered all your money, you throw him a party. The elder son is now the one who is deeply dishonouring his father. The father has had to leave his guests and come out to plead with him to come in, and the elder son is refusing point blank. What does the father do? He still loves him. Verse 31, he says, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
You see, since the younger son had blown his inheritance, the elder son was technically heir to the whole estate. But the father's saying, I've forgiven your brother, so you need to do the same. Come and celebrate. But the story ends with the elder brother still outside. The family reunion doesn't happen. Now, why did Jesus tell this story? Well, many people think it's a story about a wayward son who comes home and gets forgiven. But that is only half the story. It's a story which demonstrates how there are two ways in which we can distance ourselves from God. The father, of course, in the story represents God. And the brothers represent you and me. And all of us, it shows us how all of us in our different ways can rebel against God. The younger brother was in open rebellion. He disgraced his father. He squandered the family fortune. And this is the, this is the kind of person who it's easy to spot. He openly rejects God, breaks the rules of decency, hurts other people, lives selfishly, tends to get labelled a troublemaker or the black sheep of the family. They're, they're easy to see. You may have one in your family. You may have been one in your family. I, I was one in my family when I was younger. And in the picture of the father running to meet him and kissing him on his return and reinstating him into the family, God shows us that he is ready to forgive absolutely anyone, even for the worst offences. That's how much God loves us. But what about the elder brother's reaction? Surely the elder brother was in the right. Surely he had been good all his life. He'd he'd done all his tasks. He'd always been obedient. And now he's angry because the wayward son comes home and his father throws a party. Surely he was right to be angry. Timothy Keller, in his book called The Prodigal God, um, who's writing on this parable, points out that there are two ways of avoiding God and trying to be our own saviour and lord instead of letting God be our saviour. And the first is by breaking all the moral rules, as the younger son did. But the second is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good for all the wrong reasons. You see, the attitude of the elder brother shows us that he didn't keep all of the rules because he loved his father, but because he ultimately wanted to get his hands on all of his father's wealth. If his motive had been love, he would have joined in the joy of his father at his brother's return. And you know, I think churchgoers can be prone to being elder brothers, if you like, living morally upright lives on the face of it, but doing so for the wrong reasons. We can do it because we think that if we do, and we're very, very good, God will somehow owe us for that. But actually, That is just another self-salvation project, similar to the one of the younger brother. People like this get very upset when they don't see their prayers answered because they think God owes them. People like this criticise others whom they see as less spiritual or more sinful than themselves because underneath, actually, they're very insecure. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but this parable about a lost son follows straight on from two other parables, one about a lost sheep and one about a lost coin. And in both of these stories, the first one, the shepherd goes looking for the lost sheep until he finds it. And in the second one, 
A woman goes looking for a lost coin until she finds it. They don't stop looking until they find them. But what does the elder brother do in this story? In a culture where where the eldest son would have been expected to have some responsibility for his younger siblings, what does he do when the younger brother goes missing? Does he go looking for him? Does he try to get him back? No, he doesn't. Why? Because he wants all the rest of the estate to himself. If the younger brother returns and gets reinstated as a son, then there's a danger he might have to share what's left with his brother. You see, it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a costly business. What does the father do? He forgives the elder brother, just like he forgives the younger brother. But this story is shocking because of the ending. The wayward son gets to go to the party, but the good son, in inverted commas, doesn't. Jesus is telling us something very, very important here. You cannot, we cannot commune with God if we haven't forgiven our brother or sister or family member or friend or boss or whoever it is. Forgiveness for the one who forgives is always costly. In fact, forgiveness is so costly that God had to send his son Jesus to die on a cross in the worst possible agony in order that you and I could be forgiven and set free. And if we in turn, like the elder brother, refuse to pay the cost of forgiving someone who has wronged us, we can have no seat at God's banqueting table. We can go to church as many times as we like, we can say as many confessions as we like, but if we still retain the elder brother attitude to someone who has wronged us, then we, like him, are left on the outside, separated from the Father. It's a deadly condition. But the good news is, there's a way out. Forgiveness. Forgive, forgive, and keep forgiving. One of Jesus' disciples once asked him if we should be prepared to forgive someone up to seven times. And Jesus, it doesn't say he smiled or chuckled, but I'm sure he did. But he said no. He said not seven times, but seven times, 77 times. In other words, there's no limit. There's no point at which we can say... I will not forgive that person and still claim to be followers of Jesus. He didn't leave room for that. This is very tough, I know. But it can't be watered down, and Jesus didn't water it down. He didn't mean to. So here's the Mothering Sunday challenge, or the Mother's Day challenge for you, whatever you like to call it. This is a day which is concerned with family reunions. If there's someone in your family who you are not speaking to, or they are not speaking to you, or you have not included in your family reunion because you feel they don't deserve to be, or it's awkward to have them round, or someone you know you're holding a grudge out against them, someone in the church family you're upset with, do something today. Pick up the phone when you get home, before you sit down to your banquet. Pick up the phone and just tell them that you're thinking of them, that you wish them well, that you'd like to see them soon, that you've forgiven them if that's appropriate, that you've missed them, that you love them, whatever words make sense. Because if we are not people who reunite families, then we will miss out on the biggest family reunion of all, the heavenly one which awaits every sinful, flawed, or self-righteous person 
who has seen the Father's love and has sought his forgiveness and has forgiven all those who have sinned against them. This is the gospel. This is the good news of God's love. Happy family reunions. Amen.